This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. If I mention the name um, John Cassis, does anybody know who John Cassis is? Well, John Cassis was the football chaplain for the Chicago Bears in the mid-80s during the, the peak time of the Chicago Bears. And he tells this story at a minister's conference, and I heard the story, and I wanted to share uh, with you. It's about the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Mike Ditka, the famous head coach, was doing a prep talk against, I believe it was the Minnesota Vikings, and uh, everybody's in there crammed in this room. And uh, so right before he gives his pep talk, he leans forward and he sees this guy named William Perry. Now, some of you guys would recognize the name of William Perry, but he had a, a nickname called The Fridge. And the reason was he was 338 pounds lineman uh, for the Chicago Bears. And so Coach Ditka uh, looks at him and says, Hey, Fridge, at the end of my pep talk, I want you to pray the Lord's Prayer. And he nodded. And so uh, Coach Ditka starts ta- uh, sharing his his pep talk, whatever he was saying. And at that time, the chaplain who was sharing the story was in the back room. Uh, Jim McMahon, the famous quarterback, shuffles over to him and leans over. I bet you he doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. And so they looked over in the fridge, was sweating profusely. They says in his story that he, it looked like he, he dripped uh, like seven gallons of sweat. And matter of fact, when they looked over at him, uh, couple times, uh, the fridge did look nervous, and matter of fact, at one point, his face was buried in his hands. And so the coach was sharing uh, his pep talk, and then about two minutes later, Jim McMahon, the famous quarterback, if you guys know who I'm talking about, uh, it's all Jim McMahon, he, he leans into the chaplain, John Cassis, and says, matter of fact, I'll bet you $50 he doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. The chaplain is sharing the story, and he says, it's kind of amazing, you know, we're betting on, on the Lord's Prayer. But he didn't have cash at the time. You know, this is 1980s. You don't just have debit cards at the time. So he, he took on the bet. At the end of the pep talk, this is what the story says, is that Coach uh, Mike Ditka looked to, to the fridge, uh, William Perry, and says to the team, okay, everybody close your eyes, take off your caps, bow your heads, Go. And all of a sudden, it was pure silence. And it was awkward silence. And then all of a sudden, you hear in the shaky, sweaty voice, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And the whole team said, Amen. (laughs) So about a minute later, Jim McMahon comes over to... The chaplain, John Cassis, and hands him 50 bucks. And he says, I had no clue he knew the Lord's Prayer. (laughs) So apparently it's a true story, which is hilarious. If you haven't been here, we've been talking about the Lord's Prayer. And it's found in Matthew 6. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 6, verse 9. It says, pray like this. Jesus is speaking, our Father in heaven hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, into temptation, but deliver us from evil. A friend of mine, Scott Reeves, who was an intern of mine decades ago, uh, he writes a lot, and he writes, if we do not recite the Lord's Prayer, or at least hold on to its pattern, we slip into our own regular pattern of prayer, which is seldomly anything as rich as Jesus' words. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Help us to learn what your Spirit is trying to teach us. Lord, help us to have ears to hear, and Lord, not only that, but help us to obey what you're going to challenge us this morning with. In your precious name we pray, amen. I'm going to need you if you can help me out. The Lord's Prayer basically is a big picture or grand picture, the backdrop of Jesus' mission. Two weeks ago, we talked about starting off with our Father, which art in heaven, and the reverence and the holiness and, and uh, the authority that comes with that. And our church was challenged about, you know, having maybe a, a, a false or a wrong or even you had a bad experience with your own father to not to carry that over into our heavenly father who is good. But the very first thing we start off with is, is the reverence and holy, uh, the holiness of the Lord and to, to revere the Lord. And then last week, we talked about the kingdom of God coming to earth. You know, so many times we want to slip into this mindset that heaven is this distant place that one day we're going to get there and we're going to play our little harps and sit on little clouds and enjoy life for eternity. But the Bible is, doesn't really explain it that way. You know, Jesus says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so already, we already know because of Jesus... Uh, heaven has invaded earth. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One of my favorite theologians, I read a lot and watch him on YouTube a lot, N.T. Wright writes, uh, he says this, the danger with the prayer when we go straight to the, the bread is that we tend to go to the bread in, too soon in our prayers. Because a lot of times we've, what we think we know about the Lord's Prayer, and that's why I shared the funny story in the beginning, we think we know what the Lord's Prayer is about, that we think it's only about our urgent needs. It's not even typically, if we go straight to our urgent needs, and if we really dissect it, it's not even our needs, it's our wants. And before you know it, in our prayer time, we begin to give a list of our materialistic wants. I find it funny that when we live in a materialistic world, that's what we go to. I remember being on a mission trip in South America and Colombia, and I saw this really poor man uh, walking his donkey on the dirt road. And we were in our charter bus, and we just happened to be on the side of the road. And my brother leaned into me, Lewis, and he goes, I bet you that guy doesn't have too many worries. And I, at first I thought, what's he talking about? Well, he, he probably doesn't worry about a mortgage or homeowner's insurance, or he probably doesn't worry about the electric bill, and all these things that we tend to worry about, right, because we live in this very materialistic world. And, um, and I'm not complaining, but it is funny that sometimes uh, worldwide, it'd be interesting to hear what God hears from our prayers, isn't it? You know, uh, I some of you lost power this morning. I imagine your prayers was, Lord, bring back the air conditioning, you know? 
Uh, so, but in some parts of the world, it's a whole different type of prayer. But if we're not careful, we're going to go right into our materialistic, driven uh, prayers. So if we don't spend time with adoring the Father, that's where the Lord's Prayer, I love it. If we don't spend time adoring the Father in heaven and seeking to honor his name, and if we don't spend time praying for his kingdom to come to earth, here on earth, right now, before you know, our, our prayers will be petitions of, of wants, and not necessarily even needs. Back in the 70s and 80s, for those of you who are a little bit older, you guys remember Casey Kasem, the big famous DJ, and he had a weekend show. And, and if we're not careful, um, we become like that in the sense that we, we, we send in our request. I remember one time my brother was totally into the Beatles, but he, and we had a call-in uh, request radio station, and he would ask me t- to call in for a song request. I made one mistake because I got beat up right after that. I called in. I finally got in a, you know, the rotary. I actually knew how to do a rotary really quick with multiple fingers. And I called in. I said, um, and they re-record this. I'd like to ask for the Beatles. Um, I forgot what song it was. And I'd like to dedicate this to Paul Solari, which was funny. I shouldn't have done that part. So next you know, about five minutes later, my request comes through the radio, and you hear his name, Paul Solari. And <laughs> the door busts open, and he starts pounding me. And so... <laughs> But if we're not careful, it's like dialing in our request. And we can fall into the temptation of seeking God for his gifts and not for his presence or to do his will. Now, when we say bread and uh, give us this day our daily bread, we start thinking, and there's a picture of bread. If you could show it, Michael. Uh, this is my kryptonite, all right? It's not desserts, it's, it's a bread. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, when Jesus was preaching this, he had opponents. At one time, someone called Jesus the son of the devil because he healed someone and cast out devils from a poor soul. But there is another, one of my favorite uh, put-downs, if you will, is found in Luke chapter 7. You may want to page your way there. Luke chapter 7. It says this, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. This is what they're saying about Jesus. And you say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber. A wine-bibber. Have you ever heard of the word wine-bibber? Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. The NIV says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, when you hear glutton and drunkards, you have a picture in your mind of what that must be like. And because we've put it into our culture, into our context, and this is where I've been challenged, that it's so much deeper than that. When they called Jesus a glutton and a drunkard, they weren't just necessarily somebody who's overweight or eats too much and likes to party. He's not just, it's not just calling him a drunkard like he's drinking too much. They're referring, and if you have your, your scriptures, you don't have to turn here, but I'll read it to you. To Deuteronomy 21, there is a deeper, 
a, a deeper, more sinister meaning behind a, a glutton and a wine-bibber or a drunkard. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 18, it says, in verse 18, if someone, and everyone needs to listen to this because it's pretty serious. If someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take a hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of the town. And they shall say to the elders, this is our son, a stubborn and rebellious son. He will not obey us because he is a glutton and a wine-bibber, a drunkard. He's a glutton and a wine-bibber. But look what it says in verse 21. Then all of the men of his town are to stone him to death. Why? Because you must purge the evil from among you. And all of Israel will hear of it and be afraid. And so fast forward to Jesus' time, and when they call him a drunkard and a wine-bibber, they're not just saying he's someone who likes to drink. That's someone who likes to consume too much. What they're saying is that he is disrespectful, disloyal. Uh, he, he, he goes against her traditions. He is irreverent. And this person needs to die. So when we look at the Lord's Prayer, we need to have a backdrop of these things that are being said about Jesus. They're calling him a profoundly disloyal, disrespectful, insubordinate person. And in their minds, he needs to die. This needs to die because this rotten apple is going to ruin the whole basket. But Jesus was really following the agenda set out by the Lord. He really was not a rebellious son. He was a faithful son. He was someone who did the will of the Father. So our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, is Jesus living out his prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. There's a deeper meaning behind all this. I don't have time, but we can talk about the banqueting table of the Old Testament in Isaiah 25, and uh, verse 6 and 8. But why did, this, why did this offend those who were around him, his opposers? It's because Jesus was not doing the things that they think they thought that he should be doing. Jesus was celebrating with all the wrong people. Uh, Luke chapter 15, it says, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And it wasn't so much that he was eating with sinners that frustrated with him, but it was his timing. He didn't fall into the timing. There were certain days that should have been celebrated with mourning and sadness, but there Jesus was eating with sinners. He was being rebellious. He was being a glutton and a wine-bibber. What he was saying is that he was being rebellious. But he wasn't, because he, he came to seek the lost. So it wasn't so much that he was with tax collectors and sinners. That was offensive. But it's also when he, he did it. It's kind of someone who, 
who uh, should be doing one thing and is doing another. Now, the only person I give permission to do this is my friend Pete Morton. From time to time, he, um, he tells me he's with someone and he's trying to help them. And sometimes that means he misses church. And uh, every time he does that, I, don't, I, I write and I text him, excused. But he's the only one I want to do that to. Because so. um, I know what he's doing. I imagine some people would get upset if, you know, somebody didn't come to church because he's helping someone. But as I was being uh, challenged by the Lord through the scriptures, like, Pete is doing the Lord's will. Now, Pete's not Jesus, all right? So let's, let's not take it too far. But Pete is doing the Lord's will. And Jesus is doing the Lord's will. He's seeking to, to save and save those which are lost. So give us this day our daily bread means, what does it mean in this backdrop? It means that Jesus is in the rescue business. What else could it mean? Now typically, and I just saw something come across my desk from an advertisement from a campus ministry group talking about it is about our daily needs, our, our, our sustenance, and it's true. But when we say bread, we have this picture in our mind, or daily bread. Let's play a little game and just think in your head, what am I talking about? What day am I talking about? The day that we'll eat turkey, stuffing, pumpkin pie, mashed potatoes, sweet potato casserole. Now, you don't have to say it out loud, but what day are you thinking? Because words have an association uh, of a certain particular day. So when we talk about turkey, most of us think the country north, I'm just kidding, uh, the day of Thanksgiving. So initially, you would think that bread represents only our physical needs. But during the time of Jesus, when he says, give us this day our daily bread, it automatically begins to connect itself to the, to the Exodus. If you know your Old Testament, you know that there was a time when Jesus was set free, the Israelites, from the Egyptians, and they were going through the desert. And they know that they weren't uh, free from their captors yet, captors yet. There's something more interesting that's going on in the backdrop. It's Daniel chapter 9. Don't just write a little note. Daniel chapter 9. It'll blow your mind. But Daniel chapter 9 talks about, it almost has uh, it's a reference to the Lord's Prayer. But there's a little line in there that talks about, the day that Israel will be set free. They will be set free. And, and in Daniel chapter 9, the prophecy comes forth. That's the good news, that the Israelites will eventually be totally set free. But the bad news in Daniel, it was going to take 480 to 90 years. Some theologians say 483. Some people say 490. It's in that range. And so in Jesus' time, they were doing the calculations, and guess what range it was? It was the 480 to 490 range. So they were anticipating for the great Redeemer to come, the Messiah, to come and set them free. And so when Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread, it begins to, to go back to the time of the Exodus. That word bread brings a certain connotation to the listener. 
It's not just about yeast and flour and, and sugar. So the whole Bible and the, the, the Israelites were thinking, now is the time. But they had no clue that it was Jesus. There was no clue they were Jesus. And Jesus would use symbols and words like lamb and the light of the world and I am the word uh, and I am the living water. All these symbols are leading back to the time of the Exodus. They were, you remember they were thirsty and, and the rock was hit and water came, living water. And Jesus refers himself as the living water. And all these words have symbols that have come back to the Exodus. And so when they say bread, they remember the time where in Exodus chapter 16, it says, behold, I'm about to bring, uh, this is Moses, behold, I'm about to uh, rain bread from heaven for you, for the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. So Jesus takes these symbols and, and he puts them into the context of himself. In John chapter 6, it says, the crowd says, then asks Jesus, what must we do be doing the works of God. Jesus answered, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Then they asked Jesus, what signs do, do you do that we may see and believe you? And here's the sign. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And this is what Jesus said. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. And believing in Jesus will truly mean freedom. You will truly be free from bondage of sin when you put your trust and faith in Jesus. Jesus truly is the bread of life that brings the final exodus for his people. It just happens to be at the 480 to 90 year frame. But they couldn't see it. So how are we to respond? How should we respond when we pray, give us this day our daily bread? How do we make this into our daily lifestyle? First of all, the question I have for all of us, including myself, is what is our deepest desire? I do not think it's wrong to pray for our deepest needs. Some of us need healing this morning. I think that's a very spiritual prayer, a need that we have. Some of us need a miracle in our lives. So when we say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, I think one of our responses, it's okay. I think it's even scriptural to pray for our daily need. I think of the Old Testament of Naomi. She, she prayed hard and, and longed that one day her daughter-in-law, Ruth, might find a husband. In answering that prayer, what happened? We have King David. And later on, I believe, 
It's in the lineage of Jesus. Hannah longed for a child and gave her, and God gave her Samuel. The disciples longed and prayed. They had a longing, a, a need that Israel would become a great nation. They would be set free. So when we say, give us this day our daily bread, we have to think, what is our deepest need? So let's just pause for a moment. Maybe close our eyes and just, what is our deepest need? And again, I'm saying it's okay if it's something that we need. We can look up. Sometimes when we think what we need is not necessarily what we need. You know what I mean? I remember because I worked with a lot of young people, uh, college students, and I remember we were circled up with a bunch of guys. It was at a, at a retreat just for guys. And, um, and if you've ever been to a retreat with a bunch of guys, it's kind of typical, especially young guys. The, con- the, the, the topic of, of sexual purity always comes up. And there was a young man who struggled with sexual purity in his thought life. And it just manifested itself in various ways. And I remember we were praying, and and he was like, Lord, take this desire away from me. Lord, I don't want to have this desire. And I'm thinking as as a mature young uh, father and husband, I'm like, that's the wrong prayer, brother. But I knew what he meant. Again, do you, you see what the point I'm making? Sometimes we think our deepest need and desire is the right one, but it's not. What that young boy needed to pray is, Lord, take my situation and let it be submissive to your will. Not take away the desire. Not take away the ability of his, of his, his uh, sexual appetite. But submit it. And that's why the Lord's Prayer starts with our Father, which art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, my deepest needs, Lord, I submit unto your kingdom. So when we think of our deepest needs, I would challenge us all, and myself included. Is it really what we need? Even with fervency and uh, even with total, you know, like, this is how he saw his worldview. This young man, he thought his greatest need was for this temptation to be taken away. But really what it needed is to come under the authority of Jesus. Typically, we get what we aim for. The second thing is when we say, give us this day our daily bread. You notice it doesn't say, give us this day my daily bread. Uh, The word our is inclusive. And it's challenging us to look beyond our own particular needs. And it's impossible to pray, Lord, give us this day our, our daily bread without being aware of the needs of others. Just look around. It doesn't take much looking around to see the needs of others. We need to look around in our community. We need to look around in 
just down the street from where we live. And let's not be callous about it. You know, typically we can, we say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. We're going to say it here in a minute in our church. And then typically we'll just go out the door and go home and eat something and then move on with life. But I pray that we don't get become like that, that we don't forget about those who are uh, around us who have needs as well. It's important as a church that we partner with those who are in need, physical needs. That's why we've done the Feed One program, where there are little kids across this globe that don't have any food. So we don't want to just say it and not act on it. You know of our church that we partner with as well down the street, uh, Connections Church, who help with those who have been displaced and homeless. It's one thing to give us this day our daily bread. So we're not just praying for ourselves, but for those around us. It's important that we partner with God's spirit and begin to pray for those around us. And not only just pray for them, but see if there's something that we can actually do. So we normally would say, Father, may your kingdom come to these beloved people and may their daily needs be met by you. And if so, with the gifts that you have blessed me with. The last thing I would, and I'm almost through, is um, when we have communion together, I would like for us to take it maybe to an uh, understanding of a deeper level. Give us this day our daily bread because we, we, prov uh, we provide the bread for us to partake in. Jesus taught us, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember, so part of praying, give us this day our daily bread. And part of that is to remember all the things that Jesus did for us. I don't know about you, but I've prayed this earlier, that Jesus saved me from the cesspool of selfishness. He, he dove into a dumpster full of, of trash, of selfish, uh, selfishness of my life, and he rescued me. He is my bread. And that's the thing that I want to challenge us, and I'm almost done. I'm going to ask the band to come on up. Ultimately, if we dig down deep what our real needs are, we find that the answer is still the same. Jesus, right? But let's not ignore what we need healing. We need friendship. We, we live in a world that people are lonely. People need friends. People need friends. People need help. People need an encouraging word. But if we dig down further back, ultimately the answer really is Jesus. And I'm praying that all of us, at one point or another, will be the hands and feet of Jesus for those who are in need. It's hard to tell someone about Jesus when they're starving to death. That's why we have this little, maybe it's an unknown motto of our church, but it's okay to belong before you believe. We need community 
We need family. We need each other. And if we're really good at discipling, we're really good at encouraging, and we become that friend, we can always tell them what we really need is Jesus. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hey, we're going to say this together. Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to do it on the slides. It's a little bit different version. And we'll start with the top line. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive in our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's pray. And if you'd like for prayer, you want to uh, say, God, I've been selfish with my prayers. Or are you just saying, God, I need a healing touch? Say, God, I don't know what I want, but I know that I need you. The bread of life. Lord, just I pray that if God calls you, if you want to come to the front, we'll pray with you. But we're going to sing this song. And I just pray that as we leave this place, that we'll leave in a, in a place that we understand end of the day, Jesus really is our bread. Let's sing. We want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurch.com.